Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Liam Picks Fights. Today, we're joined here for our third annual Top 10 Boldest Predictions for the upcoming new year in the UFC this year, 2024. Liam, we've been doing this for the last three years. It's exciting to keep it going, and I know we got some bold predictions for the fans coming up because... uh, it's time not to beat around the bush, not to play it safe. Let, let's go all out for this show. Absolutely, brother. I'm excited to do it once again. It's a great annual tradition, and it's a great way to start your betting process, in my opinion. You know, you start thinking about, hey, how do I expect this year to play out? How do I expect some of these uh, you know, fight storylines to play out? Where do I project these fighters to go? That's a lot of the questions we have to ask as betters, and so I think it's a fun way to uh, position it, and I also think it's a great way to dig in. So let's do it, my man. Well, Liam, let's get right down to business. My guest, my guest co-host for this episode. I mean, take it away, my man. What's your, what's your first one? All right. I think people would be disappointed if I didn't start here. We're going to start in the flyweight division. Is this my most profitable division? No. Do I know it the best? No, I do not. But here's one thing I can tell you for sure. Tatsuro Tyra has been a money printer for me since he got here. I've been saying good things about him. I've been saying he's going to keep winning. I've been saying don't bet against him. And now we're getting to the point where he's about to get that push. He just got that big knockout. A lot of people weren't expecting that. I've been telling people he has hands. He can go out there and knock people out. He's shown it since the regional scene. Now he's shown it in the octagon. He's taken on every short notice opponent they've given him. He's not been a problem to deal with. Hey, we got to move it two weeks. Hey, we got to change the weight. Hey, all this, that, and the other. He says, yes, he does it with a smile. He gets another big win. Young kid, very talented. I think this is the year that we see him rise to the top five in the division. Yes, sir. I'm saying Tatsuro Tyra to the top five. Why do I believe that? I think there's guys right now, he could dance circles around Dan in the top five. Do I think that that's true of everybody? No, but I think his grappling is levels above these guys. I think he can wrestle well enough to get the fight where he needs to. And here's the other thing. It ends up on the feet. I think he can compete with these guys. I think he has big power in his hands. I think he's got huge hands for the division. Give me Tatsuro Tyra to break into this top five. He's been my guy. I'm riding with him once again in 2024. I think it's a big year for the kid. So you picked the number 15 guy ranked at flyweight currently to enter the top five. And you know what? So my first one was actually in a different weight class, but I'm going to give you my flyweight prediction right now since we're on the topic. So I have the same prediction just with a different guy. And it's not just that he'll enter the top five, Liam. It's that he'll end the year with that belt around his waist saying, I am the greatest flyweight on planet Earth. And I'm talking about Manel Cap. This is a guy who's always had the talent, always had the skills. Like even in the fights he loses, it's not even like dudes are beating him. It's like he's beating himself. He, he's like one of these guys that's so confident that he assumes he's already ahead on the cards. So he might just chill for a little bit. But I think he's been getting a lot better about that. And now that, you know, because you got to take, take this into consideration, Liam. This dude makes his UFC debut against Pantoja, who's the current champion, right? And this is like, a couple months removed from fighting with tennis shoes in Japan. The refs got an earpiece on your, you know what I'm saying? It's just a different world. And even in that Pantoja fight and that, excuse me, and that Nikolau fight, bro, it's not like he lost cause he got outclassed or he got his ass whooped. He, he just, you know, maybe took his foot off the gas a little bit too much. He was feeling himself a bit. He had to get used to the octagon. Now that he's been doing that, he's been getting the results. I think he's going to get the results against Nikolau this time officially on the scorecards, if not by knockout. And then after that, 
I love me some Pantoja. We predicted uh, last year on the boldest predictions that Pantoja would finish the year as champ. We got that right. But now I'm predicting that the great Pantoja is going to move the belt on to Manel Cap, and he's going to end the year as champ this time next year. I love it, my man. I, I can't even push back on that because I see the Manel Cap Nikolau fight going exactly the same way. I felt very fortunate to cash my Nikolau play last time out. He was plus money there, and it was a very close fight that time. I think we've seen two guys moving in opposite directions. And if he could do that redemption arc where he beats both guys that beat him when he got to the UFC, I think that'd be something special. Absolutely. So, Liam, what's uh, your next one? Well, my man. If you remember last year, I gave a little bit of plaudits to my guy, Patchy Mix, and he went on to have an absolute banner year. So New York boys teaching him how to wrestle once again, had to put on for our New York guys. But when we're talking about uh, the power couple of MMA, right, it's not complete without the other half of the power couple getting that belt. And I think that's Tatiana Suarez time. Uh, what I mean by that is Tatiana Suarez has kind of been a champion in waiting for a long time. A lot of people have talked about her as the best girl in the division. We've seen how she's treated other UFC champions that went on to win the belt in the interim, right? Carla Esparza absolutely disrespected her, dragged her around the octagon, beat her up and told her what time it was. So I'm thinking that this girl, Tatiana Suarez, with Patchy Mix in the corner, with this newfound guillotine series that seems absolutely lights out, I think she's coming to claim that belt this year, no matter who has it. So uh, one way or the other, Tatiana Suarez is fulfilling the prophecy. MMA's power couple is getting the belt. It's Tatiana Suarez and Patchy Mix season. I'm really glad you brought that up because I also had a prediction about Tatiana Suarez. And my prediction, Liam, and everybody else, hold your breath because I know how you guys feel, the female Habib, this and that. I predict that in 2024, Tatiana Suarez takes that inevitable first L. I think that... Um, you know, there was a stage in women's MMA where you could be one-dimensional and get away with it. And I still think she can in most matchups. But once she gets to the top of the top, like, did you see how, like, Whaley Zhang went from, like, getting wrestled by Rose Namajunas to all of a sudden, she a year later, she can out-wrestle Carla Esparza? Like, those kind of improvements are unheard of, not to mention how good she is standing and, and just the well-rounded MMA game. And if you want to be at the top of any weight class in 2024, you better be well-rounded. I mean, does Tatiana know how to throw a jab? So, yeah, to me, man, I uh, I think she takes her first L this year. They said the same about Patchy Mix, and then he punted dude's head out, out of the arena. So we'll but see. I just I, I do understand, but I'm saying that I see this girl, Tatiana Suarez. I see her working with Patchy Mix, and I say to myself, what is the limit of this equation? It's limited. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people are going to agree with you more than they do with me because I think my take is bolder. People have been saying that Tatiana is going to be champ for the last million years. I'm saying she's taking her first L. That's I bold. I hear you, and I do think people are selling stock on Tatiana, some people, right, based on the recent performances. But what I'm seeing is, number one, she's fighting Amanda Lemos next, right? I always try and do this based on how they're building out the, the cards. And so I'm looking at Amanda Lemos as the next opponent. Yo, Amanda Lemos, I told people, bet the plus 600 on Jessica Andrade by submission because this girl was a dancer five years ago and Jessica Andrade is a black belt, right? Like, that's just a different story. You're talking about a girl who's a world-class wrestler who's training with world-class grapplers every day against a girl who's a dancer who just got outgrappled systematically in her last fight in every position. It's like, I do look at that and say, what is the UFC trying to do here? I think they're trying to get her to that title shot. So maybe she loses it. But I do think that uh, for my prediction, that's that's what's going to get me in the right uh, the right position to win. No, that is a great matchup for her. I can't debate that. But Amanda Lemos ain't no champ, so 
you know, let's see what happens when she gets to the champ champs. Not champ champ as in two division champ, but the actual champ. So let's see. All right. What you got next? Next up for me, my man, this is one that does not bring me any pleasure. Because if you guys have listened to this show for years, you've known. I've been telling people that the top fighter in the sport, period, pound for pound, was Alexander Volkanovsky. And for a very uh, long time, that was true. Uh, I just think that the bill has come due, unfortunately, for my man, right? He's 35 years of age. He's in a very competitive featherweight class. And it's not one time that he's been given a scare. It's not two times he's been given a scare. There's been a number of times he's been in a lot of tough fights. He's gritted through it all because he is the consummate, ultimate competitor. Great fighter, great competitor, elite skill set. But father time is that one thing that is undefeated, right? 35 years of age. Very difficult to come back from a severe knockout loss. When you try and do it within a few months, it's going to make it even more difficult. When you're talking about a guy that went out there and put on the performance that we saw against Islam, I do think a lot of people are going to say, Liam, what are you saying? Like, he's just fighting the best guy in the world. But what I'm seeing is, number one, Ilya Tapori is not like, oh, yeah, I fought the best guy in the world, now I'm fighting some bum. It's like, no, I'm fighting another elite guy on the come up, young, who's built a real skill set, right? Is he bad on the ground? No. Is he bad with his submissions? No, he's probably better than Volk. Uh, so it's like, okay, what about the striking? His boxing is elite, and it's certainly going to be competitive with Volk. So then Volk's going to have to leg kick him to death, or like, it's just, you start getting through to the point where it's like, man, Volk is very good. He's great at everything. But where is he head and shoulders better than this guy? And normally you didn't have to say that, right? Because Yair, he's head and shoulders better in the wrestling. Uh, you know, uh, Ortega, he's head and shoulders better in the striking. Even against Holloway, head and shoulders better in the wrestling, in my opinion. Head and shoulders better in the striking after we saw in that third fight. Is that going to be the case with this guy, Ilya Taporia, who's got the hand speed, who's durable, who's got knockout power, who's just tuned Josh Emmett up like an old guitar, who looked like he had not a day of ring rust on him when he just beat up Bryce Mitchell, right? It's like you just start looking at some of these things and saying, how good is Ilya Taporia? And I don't know the answer to that question. And I do think that Alex is known for being great. That's it, literally down to the nickname. And he's been great since he got here. But I think that the bill has unfortunately come due. I think that the um, aspiration is a little bit more than what he can produce right now. Just like with that Islam rematch, I think he had the confidence. I think he believed. And it just didn't come to fruition. And I think all the same factors are here. And I just don't see it coming to fruition. I see Ilya Taporia taking that belt. You know what's funny? This was actually my number one thing I, I, I uh, posted. So the last uh, prediction we did, we completely disagreed. And now we completely agree because I wrote, not only will Volk not be champion this time next year, but Teporia or Movzar Evloyev will be. And people don't really know about Evloyev um, in, in terms of like, they, they know who he is, you know, but they don't know that like bro you know he's like 18 and 0 right like you know that this guy's amazing like you know that this guy's well-rounded and that right now he's not even in the top five he goes out there beats arnold allen who didn't he start off his ufc career like 10 and 0 or some shit like that like you go out there you beat arnold allen who's probably what 19 and into 20 into beat him we enter the top five and then you get to face the winner of volk and uh, taporia so and, and the thing about it is man we can break down you know, X's and O's. Oh, Volk's amazing fainting game. Oh, but he has to leg kick him to death. To, like, I don't give a shit about that. What I give a shit about is you're giving me plus 160 on Taporia versus any featherweight on planet Earth. That's what I give a shit about. Um, and it's just a matter of principle. Um, I just kind of have to bet him at, at that number versus any man on planet Earth at 145 pounds. Uh, and then Volk, he's incredible. 
Um, we have to mention he's lost two of his last three. Yes, to Islam. So that's why people are going to give him a break for it because Islam's currently regarded, not in my book, but in everyone else's, as the number one pound for pound fighter on the planet. And when I say that, I don't regard him as the number one pound for pound. It's because my definition of pound for pound is different than everybody else's. Everybody is has this bullshit thing where it's like, well, if their pounds were equal, then Mighty Mouse is ahead of Nganu. And I'm like, dude, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard because Nganu would soccer punt Mighty Mouse into the 10th row. So how could you rank him ahead of him? I view it as who could whoop every grown man's ass on planet Earth. That's who I view as the top pound-for-pound fighter. And I'm going to tell you who that is in a little bit. But right now, let's stick with this one. And that's Volk, unfortunately, will not be the UFC champion this time next year. Teporia or Evloev will be. We we totally agree there, my man. And I, I will say he got left off my list. But Evloev was in my consideration because I was thinking of guys that are breaking into the top five in the coming year. And Evloev, you know, it wasn't bold enough for me. That's why I ended up leaving that off. But to your point, if he was to become champion, that's bold for sure. Coming from that nine slot, uh, a lot of people aren't talking about him right now. But I think that he is the goods. And I think that he's shown uh, a pretty thorough approach, right? He's put himself in danger a couple of times, but he's dealt with the adversity every time uh, swimmingly. And he seems to have that 15-minute cardio to go. Uh, each and every time out against these tough guys. So that's a really important factor for me when you're looking at guys to ascend to that title level. And we saw the same thing with Ilya. A lot of people question, hey, can he go five hard rounds? Ask Josh Emmett if he could go five hard rounds. Brutalized him all five. You know what uh, one of the scorecards was in that fight, right? I, I don't know him offhand, but I'm sure that it was wide. Take a, take a guess. 50-42? Uh, yep, 50-42. Are, are you dead serious? Wow, that's bad. I'm not, I'm not even like, you know, being funny. I'm like, there was a 50, 42. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. So when I watch a guy like Taporia, when he first came into the UFC and I bet him against the law, like plus 160 and that was great. And, and I did think that, you know, there was going to be some kind of wake up party. You know, there was that fight he had up at lightweight where he got head kicked. And then also you watch his last regional fight before UFC. He also got head kicked there. He's been dropped with head kicks and the guy just fucking pops back up. It's crazy. It's insane. Um, I'm really coming around and that Bryce Mitchell performance. I know Bryce recently got slept, but the way Taporia handled them was like, yo, like, and then the 50, 42 over Emmett, especially seeing that Emmett still got it, you know? So, uh, yeah. Um, listen, it's just the circle of life. That's just how the sport goes. Like I bet on Volk against Max when Max was champ and Volk was like plus plus one seventy, right? And now, you know, it's been a few years. Now it's just time to, to give that belt over to someone else. And look, Volk isn't, is, He's a Hall of Famer in my book. He's one of the best to ever do it. Amazing guy. Um, love everything about him. I think that he's one of the most unique styles we've ever seen. That fainting game is just top notch. But all our favorite fighters eventually, you know, they lose their belt at some point. And I think this is that time. So it hurts me to say it, but that's a, uh, yeah, we agree with that one. So I'm, I'm going to take this next one. So I'm saying that Israel Adesanya will not fight in 2023. Now, listen. After his fight with Sean Strickland, he said, I'm not fighting until 2027. And then like a couple days ago, he's like, oh, y'all are a bunch of R words and to believe me. I'm definitely coming back this year. I'm saying that's a bunch of cap. I don't think this guy's fighting again this year. I think that what Strickland did to him, because um, it's one thing, oh, you get caught. No big deal. I just got caught. You know, remember when Chuck Liddell started getting knocked out every fight? No, I just got caught. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, Nah, dog, you didn't just get caught. You got picked apart, like, for five straight rounds, demoralized in your home country uh, by Strickland, who talked 
insane amounts of shit before the fight. And I'm not just talking about like the kind of shit where it's like, oh, like I have more power than you or, oh, I'm better. No, it's like, bro, you've been fondling your dog. You're an embarrassment as a champ. Like it was like, oh, fuck. It was like the kind of shit talk where it was like, if Izzy doesn't beat this guy, he's going to be embarrassed for a long time. I still think he's down in the dumps. And it hurts me to say that as, look, he's the athlete. He's the, the man in the arena. So all respect for him, of course. Like that's, But we're making bold predictions here. And the bold prediction is Adesanya will not fight in 2023. Wow. I can tell you, man, I did not see that one coming. I do. Like personally, if you ask me. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. Fight. Sorry. I said 2023. I meant 2024. <laughs> Of course, of course. I think that, uh, you know, I expect him to fight in 2024 at some point, you know, uh, maybe like a UFC 300 deal, but I I could see it. You know, um, I will mention he didn't make it anywhere on my list, right? So I didn't have a bold enough prediction uh, with him to go with that. But, uh, you know, you took me off guard with that one. So definitely bold and I like it. Um, here's one that I'll use to close out the talk on the featherweight division. Uh, Diego Lopez and Joe Anderson Brito are bringing a Brazilian invasion to the top 10. Uh, I truly believe that these two guys that both fought each other uh, on the contender series are two of the up and coming guys in the division. Why? They really fit a criteria that I like, which is they're dangerous as hell, right? There's nobody that they're going to fight. That's going to be like, Oh, this is a, a clean, easy night at the office. Like everybody's going to be like, Oh, this sucks. Like, why do I have to fight this guy? Because you look at that fight and JSP, could he ask for it to be going better? You know, it's like basically he's having his way, makes a mistake. The fight's over. It's like you, you fight uh Saeed Yukub Kakramanov and Saeed Nurmagomedov. He learned that same lesson the hard way, right? It's like one mistake and the fight's over against these really dangerous fighters against these guys that have a kill switch. And Joe Anderson Brito has that on the feet. And he's also got that on the ground. Diego Lopes had definitely has that on the ground, but he showed against Pat Sabatini. He has that on the feet. So when you're looking at these guys, what are the downsides, the limitations? Yeah, they could drop some minutes, but they're not afraid to drop minutes because they're trying to kill you. And they've got 15 minutes to kill you. They're going to try and accomplish that goal. And I just think when you're looking at a lot of guys in the division that have been hanging on for a little while, they're, they're guys that are, you know, minute winners and, and they're durable and they stick around. But I think that, Eventually, that bill comes due as well. And when you go against guys this dangerous, you can't afford to make one mistake. So um, I think that they're both breaking into the top 10 this year. Um, and that's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I can see it, especially Brito. Um, not that I got anything against Diego. I think Diego is one of the best no-gi grapplers in the, in the UFC right now. Like that Movsar fight, what's interesting about that is that people took away from Movsar. The fact that, um, you know. I bet him that night. The fact that Lopez had any kind of success there, but honestly, I was blown away by Mozart escaping those deep ass submissions and to dominate the fight the way he did after overcoming some spots. Um, and then I've also been impressed with Lopez, how he's bounced back. He's been disgusting. And he's a guy that you got to understand. He's not just like some six and oh, six and one, you know, one of these guys that got off contender series. He's off contender series, but I'm saying he's not just one of like. I don't know, not to disrespect anyone, but okay, Connor Matthews. I think the kid's like, well, six and oh, six and one. Great. Like, build yourself up, do your thing, kid. But like, we ain't talking top 10, 2024. Whereas Diego Lopez, what's his record? Like 23 and six or some shit. Like, like this guy's been paying his dues for so many years. And with a style like Diego Lopez, I was actually talking about this with a guy like Brendan Allen, who I gave 
uh, the breakout fighter of the year award on half the battle last week with Andrew Gombas. I thought Brendan Allen from the male side, and I think I gave it to Myra Bueno Silva from, from the women's side. Um, and Brendan Allen, I've always said it about him back when he was in LFA. You remember when he was losing fights to like Eric Anders and like Fluffy Hernandez, right? I always said with Brendan Allen's style, he needs to be a black belt for his style to work because he was a purple belt trying the same shit he's trying now, which, hey, I love it. But at the UFC level, if you want to have that style, you better be a fucking black belt. Now he is a black belt. The guy's 11 and 2 doing his thing. And the reason I bring up Brendan Allen is because. Look at the guys you're mentioning, Diego Lopez, Joe Anderson Brito. These are not spring chickens, Liam. These are guys with a lot of experience. These are guys that have been paying their dues for years outside the UFC and now in the UFC. They're they're putting in work. So and they're I, both uh, dynamic can, black belts. Yeah, I can totally see it. If I had to only pick one, I'd go with Brito. But uh and, may, and maybe it's recency bias because he cashed a plus two fifty for me against Feely. And I've always liked him. Um, not that I got anything as Diego. Diego's great. Um, I just see the style of Brito working more in the top 10. Because I think some of these guys, when you start, like like you already saw how it looked against Evloev, I think a same, similar thing would happen against Taporia, possibly even Volk, where they can just kind of go through some sketchy situations but eventually neutralize them. But don't get, don't get that twisted, Liam. I definitely think Diego Lopez is going to be tapping out a lot of guys. Like, let's pull up the rankings right now. Because, okay, yeah, I mentioned guys like Taporia and Evloev and even Volk, who I don't think that Diego Lopez would beat. But, I mean, what do you think would happen if Diego Lopez gets around Edson Barboza's neck, if he gets around Giga Chikadze's neck, if he gets around... Uh, well, Austin Springer was able to give us that answer. Oh, wow, yeah. I was at an Arctic Monkeys concert that night, and my, my buddy had a parlay with Giga against Austin Springer. I mean, it's supposed to be the easiest money ever, right? I mean, it's Giga versus Austin fucking Springer. And then it, and then we saw he got choked out. We were like, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But anyways, we're getting off track here. I, uh, I can definitely see it happening. Like I said, I would pick Brito over Lopez, but it, would it surprise me if Lopez got in? No, it would not. All right, my next one. So we were talking about pound for pound a few minutes ago, right? How I, my definition of pound for pound is different than everybody. Like everyone's definition is this like fictional thing where like if everybody was the same size, who would like, I'm like, bro, like everybody's not the same size. So I, I just don't care to, you know, to contribute to, to arguments like that and to debates like that. I'd rather say, who do I think would whoop every grown man's ass on planet earth and call that? the number one pound for pound fighter. And I think that's Tom Aspinall. And I think Liam this time next year, Tom Aspinall will be regarded as the pound for pound number one fighter on planet earth. Why? I mean, who can beat him? Uh, I mean, like I literally think that not only can this guy beat every single man on God's green earth, but I think he can beat them everywhere. I think he's got the knockout power to knock out the heaviest hitters like Sergei Pavlovich. I think he's got an insane ground game. When was the last time you saw someone straight armbar Volkov? Like Volkov's a guy. Curtis Blades took down Volkov 13 times, maybe even 14, Liam, right? No, no even close submission attempts. This dude, Aspinall, takes him out twice. Once with a blast double, once with an inside trip, passes, gets a damn nasty straight armbar on him. And like you don't see a guy like Volkov just tap quick. Like Volkov is as tough as they come. Volkov is a seasoned vet to treat him the way he did, to treat Pavlovich the way he did. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Aspinall is undefeated. Look at all his losses. A fluke injury to Blades. Um, 
like a DQ loss where he either, I forgot if he soccer kicked the guy or elbowed him behind the head. Okay. And then uh, he got heel hooked early in his career. So he got one legit loss, a heel hook loss, which is like what y'all like to refer to as a meme finish. That's cost me money. That, that, that meme loss cost me so much money trying to fade his ground game, but continue. Yeah. So I just think this guy's got the well-rounded goods. I think he's got the size, the athleticism. You don't see heavyweights move like that. The confidence people hold it against him. He hasn't been in the third round. Hey, it's not his fault. He's finishing everybody before that. So yeah, I think this time next year, you're going to regard this guy as the number one pound for pound period. I won't go that far. That's a bold prediction. But I was going to go so bold as to say, I think Tom Aspinall will ascend to the top three in the pound for pound. And the reason being is I think he's going to beat number five on the pound for pound right now. Alex Pereira. Uh, oh, yeah. Alex Pereira. And re- right now what they're talking about is doing that at UFC 300 as a big fight, as a way of you know creating some appeal. And listen, I, I understand it, but just like we've seen you know in the past, who benefited more from the Islam Mahashev and Alexander Volkanovsky trilogy? I mean, obviously, Islam, right? He's number one pound for pound in the sport right now because he beat number one and then he beat number two when they did the rematch, right? Or however you wanted to square that away. He got to the number uh, three spot by beating Volk, and then he also kept it by beating Volk. So Oliveira is still hanging around in that top uh, type position. But for the most part, what I'm seeing is just a guy in Aspinall who's on the outside looking in, right? Not in the top 10 right now, but with one win could easily move into the top five. And I could see that, right? Pereira is number one, moving from 185 to uh, heavyweight. How does that move tend to go for people? It's like, that's a massive move in weight. So yes, he's a big guy. Yes, he's got a big frame, but he's big compared to middleweights and light heavyweights. I think against heavyweights, he's going to look like an average guy at best. And I think he's more so going to be smaller, especially when you compare him to a guy like Aspen also. Uh, For me, I think Aspinall is probably going to smoke Pereira in the first round. Um, you know, whether that's on the feet or on the ground. And to your point about pound for pound, I think that he could kind of get an easy win on the ground here. Um, you know, like probably the easiest win of his career on the ground by just taking this guy down. I've said Pereira is a fraud on the ground. Um, and I still believe that, you know, Jan Blachowicz almost submitted him in the first round. Jan Blachowicz got can opener by Glover Teixeira uh, and then passed his guard. Like it was no big deal. Like you just see that, in the heavyweight classes, most guys can't grapple a lick. So if you have good grappling or passable grappling, you're going to get a lot of wins. And I just think that Pereira's grappling was good because he's big, strong, and physical, and guys can't move him. He's like a tree. Tom Aspinall is going to pick him up, turn him sideways, and suplex him out of the octagon if he wants. So, Well, I agree with you that Alex Pereira is getting KO'd in 2024. I just disagree with you that they're going to put him in there with Aspinall. Aspinall would pick him up and throw him out the octagon, bro. Like That shit would not be fair. Um, but I get it. It's Poatan. We love Poatan. Like he's just such a cool cat. Like, how can you not love him? Plus he's got the style. We like the nastiest left hook in the business, always delivering epic knockouts. You love his personality. So I love everything about, uh, Pereira, but guess what guys, it's been 27 minutes and I haven't mentioned Jamal Hill yet. So, uh, listen, not only will Jamal Hill be a two time UFC champion, but I don't, th- I don't I don't just think that he's going to beat Alex Pereira, uh, Liam. I think he's going to starch Alex Pereira. I think he's going to sleep Alex Pereira. And I think you guys are going to understand who the one true king is. And, um, I-, I mean, I'm. you guys know how high I am on, on Hill. I mean, I love greatness. I love money. Um, 
I just don't see why people don't view him how I view him. Like people see him with his physique and they try to act like he's like Roy Nelson or some shit. Like, bro, Roy Nelson doesn't break output records. Roy Nelson doesn't touch UFC belts. Roy Nelson, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, stop that bullshit. Look, the guy can't get a six pack. It is what it is. But you know what the guy can do? The guy can break the significant strike record in a division that John Jones ruled for over 10 years, a division that had Shogun, Rashad, Chuck Liddell, Rampage, Forrest. Uh, I can just regurgitate the names over and over of all the legends that have competed in the light heavyweight division. This dude comes in there and his first title fight, I mean, let people like to talk about Ankalaev being the best guy. When I max bet Ankalaev in his title fight, we were lucky. We were lucky to get by with a draw because the scorecards were actually three to two, Jan Blachowicz, but we got a 10-8 at the end. So I was like, oh, thank God, bro. But when I bet on Hill and his title fight, set the record for dude. When was the last time you saw a guy outstrike someone? What was it 250 to 75 or some shit? He attempted 400 strikes in a division. John Drones ruled for over 10 years. Oh, but his physique, he's got the dad bod. Bro, this is not Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson's never thrown more than 50 strikes in a single fight. This, this is different. So y'all judging him on his physique, you're just costing yourself money. And uh, people like to make all these like, uh, oh, get off his dick and this and that. Bro, like, firstly, I'm into women. Secondly, my boy's into women too. So don't even try to make it about that. I just like... I just like making money. I just like seeing greatness. I just like seeing people break records. And that's what he does. That's who he is. And I think he's one of the best light heavyweights, not just of the current era, Liam, but that we've ever seen. And I will debate anybody to that. Anybody. So, yeah, I think Hill sleeps uh, Pereira badly and becomes a two-time UFC world champion. I love the call. You know, uh, I don't have that on my list. But I didn't really touch the light heavyweight division on my list. I felt like it was kind of in flux. So I think you uh, covered it sufficiently. And I, I also think I agree with you. You know, like if, if it doesn't play out the way I think with Pereira going up, or if it does, what is he going to do? Stay up there? I think he's going to come back down. And maybe then he would be fighting Izzy or something else. But I think it's very likely he would be fighting a returning Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill was promised a shot by Dana. And uh, I think that if Jamal Hill got that fight today, I would be betting on Jamal Hill. So um, I agree with you there. And also, yeah, Hill against Glover was a gift. Um, Hill against a bunch of other guys in the UFC has been a gift as well. Um, so Hill versus I, I every think he was single. minus 250 against Johnny Walker. And I normally am not a big favorite guy in the light heavyweight division, but I would have probably played that to minus 400. Like, you know, <laughs> Hill and every single UFC fight has been a gift. Even the Paul Craig fight. I mean, just think about this. People talk about, we got tapped out. Uh, did you see a tap? I didn't see a tap. What I saw was a guy with his broken arm trying to punch someone in the face. So like, Okay, so I was talking about the strike output. I was talking about all these things. How about the toughness? Ankalaev with one second left in the fight taps out. Not debating how tight that triangle was. I'm sure the squeeze was deadly. But one second left, whereas you got a guy like Hill. Oh, you broke my arm? Now I'm going to punch you with my broken arm. It was the ref that stopped it. Like He'll never tap. He'll never gave up. So as far as I'm concerned, if you bet this guy every single fight, you're going to be on the right side of the coin long term. That's just the bottom line. I like so what, it, my man. So what's next for you? So for me, I'm going to go with a bold one for me, right? If you've watched again, you know I've been high on Leon Edwards. I like Leon Edwards. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's highly skilled. I think he's got a lot of the right tools. But I also think he's been uh, fortunate, right? He fought two 35-year-old wrestlers on the wrong side of their career. 
Um, and you know, he, he got the job done, right? He's been on a great long win streak, but I think that it's starting to get to the point where now people's perception of Leon is advancing beyond the reality of Leon, because the reality is he's always struggled with maintaining five rounds of focus. That's always been my problem with him, right? He's not that biggest finisher, right? What did I talk about with those other guys at featherweight, the danger factor, not the most dangerous guy. He tried to get a little bit more aggressive with those submissions. I was hoping he would do that. Uh, I predicted a round five sub against Covington, but we saw when he opens up, when he gets a little more aggressive, does open him up to the counterattacks. It does mean that his style, which is about negating, which is about keeping you off of him, keeping himself just one strike ahead, two strikes ahead at all times, that kind of style, when he starts to get aggressive, doesn't really work as well. And it does open him up a little bit more. So I look at two distinct threats for him right now in this welterweight division and just say to myself, this is not going to be a good time for him. Right. And it's normally I'm looking at the 35 year old, right. I, I've, I pointed this out a long time ago when a lot of people weren't pointing out the stat about 170 and below and whatever. Now it's become like ubiquitous, but we used to just target that as like, it's natural turnover. We watched the product long enough. We know that champions can't hang on forever. And now I'm just looking at a guy in Leon Edwards who is in a very competitive weight class, right? 170, stacked with talent, lots of guys that are young on the come up, really scary guys for him, like an Ian Gary that he kicks out of the gym, like a JDM that's a big body puncher that can really hurt you if you want to engage on the feet. Like there's just these guys uh, of uh, specialists, right? And I'm looking at a division where I think either Bilal Muhammad or Shavkat Rachmanov is next. And I think either one of those guys can beat Leon Edwards today. So I think Leon Edwards' time on top was glorious and it made me money. And I think it's over, unfortunately, this year. So um, Leon, it's not to say he can't get back, right? He's still a young enough guy. It's still a competitive enough division that matchups matter. But I don't think he sells as much as people think he sells. I think he doesn't have that great or marketable personality. And I think that the Rocky story is coming to an end. And I think that most likely it's coming to an end at the hands of Chicago's own. Bilal, remember the name Muhammad. And I never thought I'd say that, but watching the tape, that's what I see. I mean, Bilal's money. That's the bottom line. Ignore the social media shit. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea when it comes to that, but fuck that. The guy can fight. The guy's got the smarts. The guy can win anywhere. Um, and I literally had the same prediction as you. My prediction word for word is Leon Edwards won't be champ this time next year. Bilal or Shafkat will be. And, you know, the funny thing about that is last year I predicted Bilal would end the year as champ. He just didn't get the chance to fight for the title. Um, and the thing about it is, so why am I predicting Bilal or Shafkat? Why am I not saying just Bilal? And, and here's my only concern, because you were mentioning, oh, Leon, he beat a couple 35-year-olds. Well, you know, Bilal's 35 too, but he's 35 with less wear and tear. He's 35, that's in the gym year-round, always in amazing shape. Like, go look at his Instagram right now. He hasn't fought since May, and he's got like a six-pack. He weighed in as the backup fighter. Like, this is one of those guys um, so disciplined, so motivated, always working hard, never has an off season. I mean, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. He does. So like to him, like there's no, like, what's he going to do? Right. And he's also a guy that, um, he's like really deep into his faith, which helped for him specifically guys like that helps them lock in, in terms of elevating their game, because, um, he was talking about how he doesn't need to see a sports psychologist because he prays five times a day. So like, I can't relate to that because I'm not Muslim, but I found it very intriguing because I was like, oh, so, so he was like, 
Um, I literally talked to God five times a day. So why would I need to talk to a shrink? I was like, okay, that's one way to put it. So like this guy feels like he is so locked in and so in tune, uh, mental, physical, spiritual that like he cannot be stopped right now. And back to the talk about, okay, but 35, 36, like, you know, that's the time where tipping point, this and that he's one of those rare exceptions where I can see him being in his prime you know, to, to his upper thirties, just because of how he takes care of his body. Like, you know, Usman was out in the clubs, you know, Usman had no knees. Like, and, and I think, no, I don't have anything against that, bro. If I'm a champ, I'm going to be up in the clubs too. But the thing is, uh, you know, these guys, like we were talking about these Muslim fighters, Bilal, Shafkat, these dudes, ain't, I would be surprised that these guys have even had a sip of alcohol in their lives. Maybe Shafkat, but definitely not Bilal. <laughs> okay. So, um, I see Bilal dethroning Leon. And then the big question is, is Shafkat ready or not at that point? Because by then, Bilal will be closer to 36-ish, maybe 37. That's where I'm kind of worried about maybe not slowing down to the point of he can't win fights anymore, but championship caliber is championship caliber. You and I were talking about this on, on Twitter earlier, how you mentioned, is it the end for Valentina Shevchenko? And I mentioned, well, it's the end in terms of winning belts, but I still think she can beat a majority of the top 10 in that weight class, right? So um that's what i would be worried about in a year or two with Bilal, right because that 36 37 year old years old is gonna sneak up out of nowhere and that's where one day you just show up and you don't look the same right so right now i think that he's gonna be he's gonna have more longevity than most guys his age um it's just when's that tipping point gonna come and that's my biggest concern and then shaft has all the physical attributes, he's well-rounded, 18-0 with 18 finishes. You love everything about him. Um, and I want to say he hasn't been tested, but that's not true because you look at the Jeff Neal fight, you look at this one fight he had on regionals where he got wobbled bad, he overcame adversity. But I still want to see him truly push in the UFC. And I think Bilal comes in there with the right game plan that could push this guy to the limits. And if Shafkat's good enough to beat a guy like Bilal, then watch out, he could be a long-reigning champion. So back, you know, long-winded, but you know the point was leon edwards will not be champ this time next year Bilal or shafkat will be we totally agree on that and the one thing i'll mention is you know who did buck that 35 year old trend the only person who's done it to my knowledge is tyron woodley in this welterweight division so if there was a division to do it if there was a guy to do it maybe it's Bilal muhammad in the spirit of tyron woodley uh you know another gritty american that waited their turn for that title shot and then when they got it capitalized um, you know, and beat people when a lot of people didn't expect it, right? That's kind of been the history of the welterweight division, right? The turnover is always unexpected at the top. And uh, I think it will be no different this time. I do expect uh, people will, will will see Leon as a small favorite and say, man, you know, how could he not win? You know, didn't you see him head kick Bilal five years ago? Or I'm just kidding. But uh, I, I do think people will overanalyze that result. It was not a long enough fight for me to get Dude. it. They fought one round in like 15 seconds. <laughs> like how, how many times have you seen a 49, 46, a 48, 47? Like, so because one guy won one round, oh, foregone conclusion, he was going to win the next four. That is so asinine, bro. That is so ridiculous to even say some shit. It was a 10-9 first. People were acting like it was this massive beatdown like yeah it's a 10-9 leon won the first round 10-9 no one's debating that and we've seen Bilal improve in rematches as well right like against vicente luque he just completely reversed the result and like went to sweeping him on the cards basically yeah so like look if leon beats him in a real 
prolonged fight where he's not i don't want to call it cheating but it wasn't a legal move i mean he stuck his fucking like if you look at my middle finger i'm not flicking you off all this up to the knuckle was deep in his eye like do you understand what i'm saying that's and people were like oh Bilal was crying like bro you would fucking be crying like a little bitch too like so don't even try me on that but what's your what's your next one man all right my man next one for me this is a guy that you know i'm just done listening to what other people have to say about it right i'm just going to trust my own gut and my own instincts and it has been while saint denis is getting into the top five in the lightweight division right people have been trying to temper my enthusiasm on him but i look at him and you had talked about this on on Bilal, and here's what i see i see a god of war i see a guy who is like all in on himself his confidence what he's doing and is he good on the ground? Yeah, you're damn right he's good on the ground. Is he strong as shit? Yes. Will he ever quit on himself? No. And can he knock you the hell out? Yeah, he can. So it's like, wh- where do you want to fight this guy? Nobody wants to fight this guy right now, I'll tell you. And when I'm looking at a guy like Benoit Saint-Denis, yes, he can get cracked. Yes, he can get touched. But I just don't see him quitting. So, like, can you kill this special forces operator before he kills you? Good luck, lightweight division. Uh, I don't think that most of you can. So I think Benoit Saint-Denis is an animal unleashed on these guys. I think the days of seeing him at plus money uh, are probably behind us already. Um, If not, then they will be soon. Uh, And I think Benoit Saint-Denis is going to be a top five lightweight before all is said and done in 2014. Or 2024, 2014. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think you bring up good points. I didn't have him on my list, but like when you look at the current lightweight rankings, um so islam champ charles won but then gaethje poirier chandler and and firstly let's because people like to lump these guys in together do not compare guys like poirier to chandler like poirier is a true true legend and these guys do not have to fight the top guys anymore these guys are at the end of their runs like let them have just some fun fights they've already fought all the toughest guys i mean people are like oh dustin and them are avoiding fights I'm pretty sure I saw Dustin fight Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm pretty sure I saw him fight Charles Oliveira. I'm pretty sure I saw him fight Max Holloway twice, Justin Gaethje twice. So, like, what do you mean he's Chance avoiding? Chance on John Connor McGregor three times. Uh, like, <laughs> like, oh, he's avoiding tough fights just because he's not going to fight some undefeated Russian that's got, like, 10K followers when Poirier is, like, one of the biggest stars in the sport. Like, do you all know how the business works? So... Uh, Poirier has earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants to do. If he wants to call out Patty Pimblett, which he's not going to, he's got too much pride for that. Go ahead and do it. I'm not going to hold it against you, bro. Like Poirier only has got a couple more fights left. You've given us blood, sweat, and tears for over 10 years. Do your thing, my man. Chandler, um, you know, he gave his blood and sweat and tears in Bellator. Gaethje, you know, he takes a lot of damage. I love all these guys, but I'm thinking what you're thinking. I'm thinking... Benoit, my opinion on him has completely changed around. The guy's obviously, oh my God, he's a dog. Boy, is he a dog. You got the Benoit Saint-Denis. I think Mataj Gamrot is a tough matchup for a lot of people, man. So I think guys like that can kind of usher out the old guard and and, and stuff like that. So I I agree with you there. All right, my next one. Um, Because we've been going in a funky order. Because when you mention a weight class, I go to like my uh, prediction for that weight class. So... Let's see what I got next. Okay, this is a prediction that I made last year and it didn't come to fruition and I'm going to make the exact same prediction this year and hopefully it does come to, to fruition. Uh, Yan Zhaonan will dethrone Wai Li Zhang in a China versus China super fight. I've been, look, 
I've bet on Yan Zhang on every single fight, literally every single fight in the UFC. I've been waiting for my sidekick to the face knockout. She at least got her first uh, one-punch knockout against Jessica Andrade last time out. And I think her and Wei Li is going to be a big fight. And Xiaonan's been making big improvements. And I think she's ready, man. So, yeah, I think she's going to be the champ. And hopefully we can avoid this Tatiana Suarez mess so uh, I can, uh, you know, have a Xiaonan champ this time next year. Absolutely love it, my man. Uh, I have no predictions on that one, but I will say. Um, yes, you do. Yes, uh, you do. You predicted Tatiana will be champ. Well, well, what I'm saying is I have no prediction on uh, that I exact iteration. Um, oh, gotcha. If it happens, right, I won't won't disclose that one because uh, that's a little proprietary. But when I'm looking, you know, me and you have discussed that before. We've expected that matchup to happen. I feel like we and the fans are more bullish than the UFC. Like, I feel like they keep getting this gem just lined up for them. And they're like, yeah, but what can we do a super fight with Grasso or something? So that's the one thing that makes me concerned about that. But I do, uh, I agree with you that she deserves it. If it's a meritocracy, if we're if we're going about what should happen, I think she should be next. But I just have a feeling they're going to be like, yeah, you gotta you gotta fight another. You gotta do one more. So uh, that that would be my concern for you there. But I'm wishing you the best of luck because we we were both rooting for that last year, and I guess uh, I'm already uh, burnt from last year. But <laughs> I, if we got to move to another, then uh, I got one for you, my man. Okay. And, I got to confirm this with you because I checked today. I didn't see anybody, and I believe that this is true. Is there anybody in the UFC that is ranked from Canada? Because I don't think anybody's ranked anymore. Uh, I, think, I, I, think, I think if Mike Malat beats Neil Magny, he'll get ranked. And then Charles Jordan. So I was really surprised. Not surprised. I was interested more so. That's the better word to use. You notice how Charles Jordan, they just gave him the Sean Woodson fight, right? And that's like a fun fight. That's like, you know, they're going to brawl. It's, it's the kind of fights we want to see. So I was thinking that the UFC maybe slow rolled Jordan in terms of like, hey, let's not rush this guy to the top 15. He's still young. He's still getting better. Like, let's let him have some fun matchups and let him be in all violence fights. So I don't really see Jordan being ranked for that reason. I think he's good enough to be a top 15 guy or will be one day. Um, but the reason I don't have it now um it, it is for the reason i mentioned i think they just want to kind of put him in some fun fights but like to your point i think malat goes out there and beats uh magni he's going to be ranked and then i think jasmine jazz Davicius uh beats uh cachoeira um they'll find a way to get her back in the ranking because she was in there at one point and i thought that she had a great fight with uh, was it tracy cortez the one that you took the l in yes yes it yeah, was like, close I, fight thought, yep yeah it was close i mean i think jasmine's right there so you know so the reason I bring that up is because I had thought to myself, is there even a single ranked fighter from Canada? And my answer based on looking at the rankings was no, there is not. Right. Is, and to is your Barry all ranked? Nope. I, no. And that's the thing. I literally went through like one by one. I was like, surely Jordan's ranked. No. Barrio? No. I was like, is Malat? No. And so my prediction is Mike Malat is the first Canadian to break into the top 10 in the UFC in 2024. And the reason being is number one, I think he's going to absolutely smoke Neil Magny. Uh, <laughs> but number two, I think he actually has real skills. What did I talk about as a big criteria for me in the featherweight division? That danger factor. Same thing that we talked about in a couple other weights. And when I'm looking at this guy, Mike Malat, He's probably the most dangerous Canadian I've ever seen. He can hit you with a left hook and change your life, right? He is very fast with his hands. He used to fight at 145 pounds. And this is a guy that took a long time out of the cage. So people didn't see him. They didn't get a lot of tape on him. He just developed. 
worked in silence, got better, and he trained with great teams. He went to Team Alpha Male because he needed to get better at wrestling and grappling. He's now a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He trains, he trains, excuse me, with Champions Creed in Canada. I would argue it's probably the best team in Canada, not named, uh, you know, or not coached by Farasahabi. It's like when you just look at, um, you know, how he's put himself in a position to be here, Niagara top team. Jasmine Jesuda Vicious, that other potential ranked fighter you mentioned. Kyle Nelson, another guy who's been fringe guy. You just look at these talents, they're conglomerating in certain areas. And I think of Mike Mallott as the leader of the Canadian movement right now. He's the leader in that gym. He's a guy that's a coach at Team Alpha Male. People respect this man. And I had said this all the way back when he fought Solomon Renfro. You got a coach against a young athlete. I don't like the way that that's going to turn out for him. And this is now Mike Mallott against the UFC veteran, but I think he's way more dangerous than Neil Magny. I think he's way more hungry than Neil Magny. So uh, for me, give me Mike Mallott to ascend, not only past Neil Magny, but into this top 10 in the welterweight division. I think Canada, oh, Canada, they're finally getting one back on the board, baby. Mike Mallott. So Gobbler asked a good question. He said, does JDM enter top five this year? And I'm glad you asked that, Gobbler, because – my last prediction, you know, I'm skipping a little bit just because you asked this this question. I wrote Jack Della, currently ranked number 11 in the world, will be a top five guy this time next year. Reason being, he's fighting Gilbert Burns next. Um, and look, we know the threats here. I mean, we saw Della get taken down pretty easily by Basil Hafez. And, you know, I know that that's going to, you know, Gilbert's currently the favorite, but styles make fights. And, um, I think that Jack Della, uh, little, you know, little secret, I'm going to bet him as an underdog. And as a result, I hope he wins the fight so that this prediction comes through. Because if he does win that fight, he will be a top five guy. So, yeah, I'm predicting Jack Della Madalena, currently ranked number 11, will be a top five guy this time next year. I absolutely love it. I wanted to give some Canadian love, but that was another one that I considered, my man. I looked closely at the rankings, and I think JDM, Ian Gary, um, two other guys that are already ranked, but on the outside looking in, and I think that their potential, um, you know, they've got matchups that favor them moving towards that top five. So I got a question for you, and this is one Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't write anything about, but I was just thinking, remember how dominant Peter Yan was and how we regarded Peter Yan at one point, or at least how I regarded him. I was like, Oh my God, like who's going to touch this guy. And you know, and then he need uh, Aljamain Sterling knocked him out, but they called Aljamain the winner. And then the next fight was, it was a little, it was three two, but three two either way. All comes down to how you score that first round. Um, but then you know the O'Malley fight, okay, it didn't go his way either, but it was still a close competitive fight. But then that Marab fight just got ran through. And even though some of these losses are like not even really losses, uh, the Marab one was a loss. And when you add up all those losses together, it's just not a good look. Like, where, where do you see Peter Yan this time next year? Because he's going to fight Song Yudong. You know, he is a favorite over Song Yudong. So that name, Piotr Yan, still holds a lot of weight in a lot of people's books. Do you think he's on his way out? Do you think he had a couple unfortunate situations with judges' decisions and matchups? Like, where do you view Piotr Yan now compared to where people viewed him a year or two ago? Yeah, I don't know exactly how controversial this take is but it for me i have a hard time rating him and Corey sandhagen right now um you know and, and the reason being is you know his last relevant win is over Corey sandhagen Corey sandhagen has the win over font 
Font is like one in four or one in five in his life. Like he's just, he's been on a really rough run himself. Hasn't been able to get a great footing um, lately. And then like you mentioned with Piotr, he's been on a very rough run recently. I, I did cash in two of those instances. So it's not like I wasn't seeing some of this coming. New York boys teach you how to wrestle. That's a theory that I have that I will back at the window many times. Marab Devalishvili is a Georgian warrior, uh, as my guy Clint would say, that also is a New York boy that will teach you how to wrestle. Multiple systems, multiple systems. So I had to play in there as a dog. Did I expect it to be that fight? No, I did not, right? I expected more resistance. So for me, that was a problem, right? Is, is Jan dealing with injuries? You know, he's a guy that's a father. He's got a lot of stuff going on outside the octagon. Is he just not as serious about it now? He's a very young, hungry killer. When he got to the UFC, he was mean, dude. He had a, a look in his eye, like, I'm coming to get you. One of the most brutal beatdowns in the history of the sport that he put on Jose Aldo, like sickening to watch at a certain point, like somebody in the corner, the referee, a doctor, a good Samaritan should have intervened in that fight. I'd be like, hey, this been over for 15 minutes. Can somebody make somebody aware of that in here? And he stops beating up this older man, like brutal stuff. But you see that that's kind of the peak, you know? I feel like that's where he peaked, and I don't think we've ever seen the same kind of guy. That Aljamain Sterling performance, I mean, yes, I think we could all agree he was well on his way to beating Aljamain that first time they fought. But I also bet Aljamain in the rematch on the theory that that's the worst Aljamain Sterling I've ever seen by far. Aljo said, that wasn't me. I was out there with my shoulder, my arm. I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't move. And I looked at him being weak, getting thrown around in wrestling positions. And I was like, if he loses, that's one thing. But that that is not Aljo that I've seen in all these other fights. It's just not him. So I bet him on the predicate that he was telling the truth and he was going to feel better and perform better in the next fight. And he did. So then my question is like, is Piotr Jan a product of like, he got a lot of the right guys at the right time, right? He fought some close fights on the way up, if you remember, with Jimmy Rivera, pretty close, right? Round for round super close, but then he's just dropping him, right? He's getting the better of these older guys, clipping him on the chin, Uriah Faber, well past his prime, you know, former featherweight. So a lot of these guys, you can definitely poke holes in the wind. And I do think that this recent run has been against the real best guys. And I always had a sneaking suspicion. I was like, he's very good, but he had lost to Magomed Magomedov, right? What did Patchy Mix do to that guy? Absolutely embarrassed him, right? Choked him unconscious brutally in like the first or second round. So I just see a lot of people, you know, give credit to, the Russians, but they'll never take credit away from them. And I do think that Pyotr Jan, among some of these other Russians, has been exposed for not having as good a wrestling and grappling as the average, right? A lot of these guys can bail themselves out when shit goes sideways on the feet. And against O'Malley, we found out he struggled to do that. And that was why he didn't win that fight, in my view. I thought he probably could have gotten the nod. I thought the night of it was an insane robbery. But on rewatch, the, the way that the sport has been trending, it's about damage. They're just looking for who's damaged. He looked bad. He was cut up. He was bleeding. And he looked worse, visibly reacting to the shots. So O'Malley got buzzed a couple times, rocked. But he did a better job responding when he did. And he did more damage at, like at, in quick succession. I think that Jan has been a little bit exposed. So it's not that he's not a great fighter. He doesn't have great skills. He does. But people know he wants to box. He wants to be at a certain range. He wants to have pace. He wants to be comfortable. He wants to land big shots. If you can start to interfere with that, like Marab just said, you'll never get off anything on me. I'm throwing the whole time or taking you down the whole time, and you're never getting your offense going. And he just had no answer for that. So I do think other people can build on that. And, and we've seen it before with other guys. They have to reinvent themselves. And Edson Barbosa changes his style, changes his weight class, 
because people figured him out. If I push this guy backwards, he can't fight. <laughs> you know, Justin Gaethje just sprinted at him with his chin up in the air. Like eventually I'm going to club you, dude. So I, I feel like when you have a lot more tape, it makes it easier for guys to beat you. And I think that's what's happened to Jan. Great fighter with a real good skill set. But the, the depth in terms of the wrestling and the grappling wasn't there. So when people started to figure him out on the feet, I don't think he had that plan B. So, but he definitely had to take plan B the morning after the Marab fight. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, but Marab, uh, it's not just Instagram models. He's doing it with everybody. <laughs> hey, so I think we're down to our last one. So, uh, Liam, take it away, my man. My man, it's been an absolute blast. And and here's my last one. And real quick, uh, I don't real, think, quick real quick, yes. before you go, before you go, all the fans watching, thank you all so much for being here with us. Make sure you all give my boy a follow at Liam Picks Fights on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube. He's got a bunch of great content. And then also, please leave me a like, a subscribe if you're not already subscribed. When this is over, leave me a comment. Give us all your boldest predictions. Tell us where you agree and disagree with us and all that. And we appreciate it. If you feel so inclined to share, that'd be amazing too. But either way, just grateful that you guys are here. Liam, take it away with this last one. Absolutely, brother. And I, I echo all those sentiments. Here we go. Number 10. Last one for me, guys. We're stopping Brazilian hate. We couldn't get through the show without stopping some Brazilian hate. And I believe order will be restored at 135 pounds. What happened? The, the queen left right on top. Amanda Nunes, 135, 145. Who could they get in her image to fill the spot? Myro Buena Silva, MBS. She's got the nickname and everything. I think Myro Buena Silva is coming once again with that, that choke of an older white woman saying, get out of the title picture. It's mine now. And I believe she's going to stop the Brazilian hate once again. Um, this is a girl that, you know, I've been looking at as, hey, you know, against Holly Holm, against these girls, I thought she was too powerful on the feet. It, there, it turned out it didn't need to be on the feet. She can finish the fight on the feet, on the ground in transition. She's a dangerous submission threat. She's got power in WMMA. She's young. She's still getting better. Give me Myra Buena Silva to get that strap against Rocky Pennington. I think she's coming for it. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, like in the gym, like the funny saying about how like uh, when you do your best moves, the professor's never watching, but when he watches you, that's like when you're like fucking up and stuff, right? So today, um, you know, what happens in the gym stays in the gym. I won't mention any names, but I hit someone with the, that Myra Bueno Silva ninja choke and Professor saw it and I just felt like the fucking man. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're always like, oh, man, Professor missed it when I hit this cool move. Like, you want to show off in front of your professor. And he finally got to see me hit one. I was like, OK, hell yeah. I just got like some brownie points. I uh, got the wheels turning a little bit. But nah, man, I agree with you. I mean, I got uh, my year Shitara. I've always been a fan of hers. She brings that violence to the women's divisions that we like devastating calf kicks one punch knockout power which is funny because i don't think she has any knockouts but i think it's more been like she's like hurt girls and then sub them right away that ninja choke which she's hit multiple times is absolutely disgusting and i even learned something from watching it uh just that little detail of like putting the chin over the wrist like the here putting the chin here oh my god that is such a great detail and it's really helped my game so i love me some mayra shitara bueno silva definitely gonna bet her and definitely rooting for her to be champ and my final uh, prediction is, and it hurts me to say it, my man, it really does. I love Alexa Grasso. 
I love uh, Mexico. You know, my mom's Mexican. I love Mexican food, Mexican culture. I love how Mexican fighters fight. I mean, they're such warriors. But I think Alexa Grasso gets dethroned by the winner of Aaron Blanchfield versus Manon Fioro. And whoever wins that is going to be the champ this time next year. I have absolutely no pushback, my man. I, I can tell you that as I wrote my list, I wrote that down and then I was like, you know what? That one's on the nose. And I was like, I, I, am I going to be too? But you're right. Like, that's just the most obvious outcome, I think, in the division. Um, that is the true number one contenders fight. Sometimes we talk about in this sport, there's people with the championship belt and you have to respect them. But we're fans. We're analysts. We, we don't have to say that is obviously the best fighter in the sport. I believe that we can use our own eyes and ears to make those judgments. And uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the best fighter in the sport in that division is either Aaron Blanchfield or Manon Firo. So let's find out, brother. Yes, sir. Liam, air handshake. What an absolute pleasure it's been, my man. Um, and let's continue this every single year. I mean, obviously, we'll do some fight breakdowns here and there, but this is our our staple every single year for all the fans you know thank you guys so much for all your support whether you've been down with me or liam since day one somewhere along the way or more recently truly truly am grateful and appreciative you guys know where to follow us best fight picks for me liam picks fights for him uh follow all our content um and let's make it a great year and also y'all leave us a like comment your boldest predictions and then which ones you agree and disagree with us on and anything else you want to tell us just you know feel free comment away feel uh feel free to share if you feel so inclined we appreciate all that kind of stuff so thank you all again uh this is the last episode of uh 2023 so y'all stay safe on new year's don't drink and drive uh get get an uber get a lift or just stay home and party at your house you know what i mean because there's a bunch of crazy drivers out there we want y'all to be safe and sound in 2024. So thank you guys again. Thank you, Liam, to, uh, for joining me. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.